Hey everyone, and welcome to the Better Way to Do Life podcast, your source of weekly better life inspiration. This is episode one, Chiropractic Adjustments and Alternative Healing Modalities with Dr. Gina Oderman. Gina is a chiropractor and acupuncturist. After teaching kindergarten for a few years, she realized that her passion for teaching extended beyond the walls of a classroom. She decided to deepen her healing practice by pursuing a doctorate degree in chiropractic. After graduating with her doctorate in 2014, Gina opened a Life Force chiropractic clinic in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where she treated patients for five years. In 2019, Gina started treating patients out of her home office, which has allowed her to focus on both her newborn and her work. Gina is someone I am grateful to call a friend. She is a truly embodied healer and practitioner. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation about chiropractic and other healing modalities. In this episode, I also share my recent angel healing experience, and Gina tells a story about mysteriously appearing orbs. Closer to the end of this interview, you might be able to hear my dog barking. I apologize, he's out of control. You can find the show notes for this episode at betterwaytodolive.com slash one. Now, let's welcome Gina Oderman to the Better Way to Do Life podcast. You are listening to the Better Way to Do Life podcast, and I'm your host, Christina Vine. I am a spiritual, emotional, and physical health enthusiast. I've spent the last seven years looking for practices, teachings, and products to improve my life. What started as a striving to become healthier on a physical level evolved into a search for deeper meaning, truth, and connection to the divine. Each week, guest experts and I share knowledge, insights, and practical tips for you to elevate your life and experience new levels of health, joy, love, and abundance. It's time to do your life better. Let's get started. Gina, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so thank excited you. to have you. No, thank you so much for having me. I have been looking forward to this. Yes. The first question I want to ask you is, what brings you most joy in your life right now? Oh, gosh. Hands down, my little baby boy. So I have a 19 month old and I have also a nine year old and two step bonus daughters who are amazing and they all bring me joy, but there's just something special about the pure baby love that when you're holding him, your heart just feels like bouncy. It's so amazing and pure. Yeah. I've seen your son and he's the cutest, like those oh pictures you've shared once him and his, in his bath. Like- yeah. What? (laughs) The cutest baby in the world. I mean, I think so. I'm definitely biased, but oh my gosh, he's just, he's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, he (laughs) is. All right. So I've introduced you in the intro. I've told listeners who you are, but I would love for you to share your story. Okay. Oh boy. I mean, how far back am I going to go? Okay. I'm going (laughs) to do it. I'm going to go far back. Yes. When I was a child, (laughs) I knew in my heart of hearts that I could help people when other people around them maybe couldn't maybe tap into the way that they've, that they could get that help. So what I mean is I remember sitting in third grade and there was this 
boy who was kind of a troublemaker and the teacher was kind of getting on him like why aren't you doing knowing this thing da, da, da. and I just felt so bad for him that on snack time I took him aside and I would be like hey do you want help with it was some math thing and he I don't even know if he wanted the help but I just I remember him slowly accepting my help and then feeling so good in my heart that I was able to provide him like less embarrassment and just like those foundational blocks that the teacher wasn't even providing him. And so what that fed into was just this knowledge in me that I could kind of scaffold people's understanding to things. And so that led me to a career in teaching. So when I was in, I remember sitting in the orientation in um, university thinking like, oh yeah, what am I going to do? What, who, <laughs> like, what are my interests? I, I didn't have parents who had gone to four-year colleges in this traditional sense. And they had like primed me for like following my talents or past. That was just like all on me. So I remember thinking like, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to be a teacher. And it's not that far off because my my grandparents were both teachers. My sisters both ended up being teachers. So I was just like, yeah, I know how to be a teacher. And if I go to college for teaching, I know that I'll be a teacher rather than going for some random like major and then just not knowing what I would end up being. So anyway, I became a teacher and I taught kindergarten for about three years. And in that time, it was just like, I learned so much, so much about children, so much about joy so much about just the learning process and watching these kids just light up was so amazing. And I always felt like, okay, I want to keep them in that zone of just flow and excitement and curiosity about, about things. But I, I sometimes felt like the school system, the public school system wasn't necessarily allowing me, not particular me, just the system in general that creative control in the classroom as I would have wanted for my career to take me for years and years and years. So I started to recognize, like, I don't know if teaching is going to be my forever. At that time, I was actually engaged in a relationship with someone and that started to feel like it was transforming. And I questioned that future of that relationship. So it almost felt like this moment in my life where everything was about to change. I remember specifically this one day I was taking this girl, Kelly Larson, her art project, and I was putting it into the drying rack, the art drying rack. And I looked at her and I can still see it. She has these deep brown eyes. And I just looked at her and I started crying. She's probably some like healer or something just like by nature. And I just started crying. And I, and I just said to myself, like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. So that day I walked into my principal's office and I told her that I would no longer be renewing my contract at the end of the year. And I remember her being like, are you sure? Like you could be tenured and this, you could just take a sabbatical. And I was just like, no, I just, I if I do that, it will create too much safety for me to maybe not make the leap that I knew was like calling me. And at this point, I didn't know I was going to be a chiropractor. I just knew that there was more and I wanted to explore more out there. So I ended up quitting my teaching job and moving a few hours from where I had taught down to Minneapolis, Minnesota 
in that meantime, before I had actually called off my engagement too, and I was in this place of like, what am I doing? Who am I? And so that soul searching phase for me was really, really pronounced at that time of life. And it was thanks to this amazing woman I had met. Her name is Liz Kratz. She had said, you need to see this chiropractor. There's just something about her. I think you would love and I know you have your hip problem going on, but you'd love her. She's going to like align you mind, body, spirit. And I was like, okay, it sounds really interesting. Let me go. And I went to her and it was like this immediate Pandora's box just opening up in me. I was like, I need to know everything you're doing because she wasn't just adjusting me. She was using biofeedback, muscle testing techniques. She was releasing stuck emotions that were lodged in my energetic body and contributing to some of the health concerns that I was having. She was using nutrition and it was from her recommendations that I started to follow that I started to make some shifts. And this is a whole other podcast. I won't go into the actual health ailments that I was having, but I started to get some improvements and I was like, there's so much more here and I need to know. So I started shadowing her and asking her, where did you learn from and who did you learn from? And so she led me to this Dr. Bob Rakowski, who's phenomenal, speaks all over the world and so much knowledge. And so I went to him even before I decided to go to chiropractic school. And it was when I went to him that I was inspired, like there's so much knowledge here that I never knew. And am I blind? Am I deaf? Like, why don't we hear about this stuff? I decided I would become a chiropractor and that felt like a pretty big jump because I was a little bit like worried, like, am I good enough? Am I going to be able to, you know, succeed going back for my doctorate? This sounds hard, you know? And, but once I started doing that, it felt like, okay, yeah, oh, I've got this. This isn't that hard. Like I dabbled in all the clubs and started getting my hands on all this Uh, the energetics behind healing, the nutrition, the physical pieces I was getting within the school. And so then that led me to getting my chiropractic doctorate degree and then purchasing a chiropractic clinic in Minneapolis with a girlfriend of mine, a friend from school. And we grew this practice within five years that we own the business together tremendously. And it was such an amazing learning opportunity For me to develop as a intuitive healer, develop as a chiropractor, a business person, it was just such an incredible and intense time because there was so much happening all at once within a short amount of time, not to mention I had ahead of my baby right before chiropractic school, I had gotten a surprise from the heavens who with gotten pregnant with the most lovely daughter that anyone could ever be blessed with. So I was dealing with single mommying and With that being said, that's how I became a chiropractor. And it was in those five years of practice that I really dabbled into my intuitive gifts and my trained gifts or what I learned through school and my professional training and started to incorporate it and then continue to learn. So that was really long-winded, but that I felt like all led into kind of where I am at and also the passion that I have for kids and just really, really am supportive for kids getting their hands on some of the knowledge that is out there with alternative healing and your intuitive gifts that you're given from birth and just staying tapped in to your own spirit. So thank you for listening. That was, that was a really long story. That was a very beautiful story. I love how it all started with you just listening to those quiet urges of your soul. That's where it all started. Like it would have never happened. You would have been 
uh, living this life, which is not yours. It might've been good for someone else, but wouldn't have been yours, right? That is so, so true. Yes, yes. And so I kind of know now that when I'm not on my path, or when I'm, I almost fear not being on my path sometimes because I know what it feels like to feel alive and jump on the path that is mine. And that just that flow and that excitement and just synchronicities happen when I am in my flow that when I do have those funky moments, I'm like, am I on my path? And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm just having funky moments and it does not mean I'm not on my path, but yeah, yeah. that's, that's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, would you say that that moment when you quit your job as a teacher, would mm-hmm. you say that was the moment of your quote unquote spiritual awakening? Was that the moment you started viewing the reality in a different way? I would say it was a moment, like almost like a key that was turned and that I followed. Yes, I would say that was, you know, I've never identified that. No one's ever asked me when that moment of spiritual awakening happened, happened. but tonight I'll probably be laying in bed and being like, yeah, that was the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I do think that was the catalyst to the books and learning through the seminars and just doing that soul search. So yeah, I would agree. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Someone asked me recently about my moment. Like, when was that moment when you knew you are viewing the world in a different way? And I was, it took me a moment as well to to understand when exactly that was. I think that was me. I think that was me who asked you that. (laughs) (laughs) But no, Um, yeah, it is hard because it's a process. It's not like all of a sudden I saw colors. Like some people they have a moment where they're meditating and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I see colors differently and sounds around me and God came and talked to me. No, I didn't have that. (laughs) It it was more subtle, but yet when I look back, that feeling was pretty big. Yeah. When Mm -hmm. it started for me as well, no, no, like God coming to talk to me or angels whispering in my ear, but that was, like you said, there was a moment, the beginning. And now seven years uh, since I've been having these experiences of angels coming to healing me, to heal mm. me when I asked them to. Wow. I had this this summer and it was like so in my face. You couldn't have missed it. It was, it was obvious. I asked for it. I went to bed and a being wow. came, healed me. And I, it was after I, I was very exhausted physically. I came from my vacation and I was exhausted from my plane flight. And, and then I went straight into this corporate thing. And when I came back, I felt like I didn't have my vacation at all. I was like, why did I go anywhere? (laughs) I wish I just stayed home and and, and had my vacation Mm -hmm. because I felt super tired, very exhausted, and I couldn't get back into my rhythm for a week or so. And after I've done everything, all my juices or my smoothies, all of my Mm -hmm. grounding, my gardening, my yoga, my meditation, I just didn't feel like myself physically. I felt exhausted. And, And one night I was like, okay. I need help. And I asked for help directly from the angels of healing and an angel came to me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And next morning I woke up and I was renewed. Like physically it was a new body. I was full of energy and I was back into my rhythm. I knew I was back. And there's no denying it. That's the cool part is like when you have those moments or experiences, it's like, I know what it might seem like, but it happened and you know, it's true. Like in your gut. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot Mm -hmm. deny it. 
I was surprised to see my parents open to that. I shared it with them. And mm-hmm. my mom was like, cool. <laughs> she Interesting. Yeah. Did you feel like it was a moment of surrender where you were almost like frustrated? Like, I can't get back into the swing of it. And you surrendered and then asked the angels? Yeah, certainly. Yes. Uh-huh. Admitting that I... I got this, you know, Yeah. <laughs> because we're always like, I got this. I got this. I got that. Right. But at that moment, I'm like, I don't know. I, I tried everything. I did my yoga, my meditations, right. my music, my everything. Yeah. I, right. I, you know, and now what? Yeah. It's funny you say that because it reminds me of when, um, have you ever, you've seen orbs, right? Like spiritual paranormal phenomenon that shows up on cameras. Yeah. Okay. So I had this one in college, I was dating this guy and we went to Mexico. And before I went to Mexico, I saw orbs on my camera. And I was like, it was after I had this weird encounter with my girlfriend at our house that we lived in together. And I was like, I'm pretty sure like there's a spirit in here. I, I don't know what it was, but like my phone started to, or my camera, cause you had those digital cameras at the time had uh, these orbs, it would just show up in every single picture and it was a big and, but it would change location. So it wasn't like a piece of dust. Like I cleaned everything and it just kept showing up in sometimes in different sizes, sometimes bigger. And I went to Mexico and I was so frustrated because none of my photos were turning up because of this orb. And I, I broke down. So I guess I asked about like the surrender because for me, surrender tends to happen after I've like tried to control it so much that I end up crying and then I'm like, okay, fine. Here I am. (laughs) And I was like, Scott. And I remember saying, and like praying, I guess I wasn't specifically praying to an angel, but I remember saying like, please, please stop. Will you have this go away? Whatever it is. (laughs) And the the next time I took a photo, it was gone. And I was like, and it stayed removed. So it just reminded me of like, oh yeah. Like when you have that moment of surrender and you find, and you ask, yes, whoever it is granting it for you, angels, I don't know who granted mine, some alien, but, um, (laughs) you know, I like to believe there is something to that. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's our default mode being like, Mm -hmm. I got this. I don't need help. Like I, yeah. Yeah. It's how ego works, right? It controls and it's moment- how we've been trained. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. such a fun story. <laughs> it's so weird. I just thought of it. So weird. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was incredible. And then I was like, is this my boyfriend's mom? Because she had died. I was like, is this she- her trying to be, you know, like I just didn't know what it was. I still don't know, but that happened and it still will stick with me forever. Yeah. There's just so much we don't know. And that's mm-hmm. the beauty of it. For some people, it's like scary. Oh, supernatural. Like, I don't want any of that. But right. for, for me, it's it's so expanding. Like when I realize how much exists and when these things happen, it's not scary. It's not even like a cool experience. It's just mm-hmm. so expansive mm-hmm. because yeah. you realize that there is so much there. There yes. are levels and levels of beings and it's amazing. It's just amazing. I, I feel the same way. Some people, it scares them because yeah. probably because they can't control it. But uh-huh. yeah, for me, it's more um, comforting to know there's more outside of this reality. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The same for me. Yeah. I would love for you to talk about the way you work with clients. You are a chiropractor, but you're more than that. You have different modalities you use. I think that would be great for listeners to understand how that works. Also, like, 
there, there are some listeners who are not familiar with chiropractic, mm. right? Sure. So maybe we just start with that and okay. you can tell about other modalities to use. Sure. I think it sort of feeds into the things that we were talking about, like who I am as a practitioner is different than most chiropractors and who I am as a practitioner kind of brings in the concepts we were just touching on, which there's things so much more outside of the reality that we share of the things that we can touch, feel, and taste. There's so much more. And so my style when I work with patients is to tap into that because there's so much potential for healing beyond just the physical body. But in traditional sense, chiropractic is actually healing specifically the physical body. So it's when the spine, so we have our spine, we have the joints throughout our body, has a subluxation, which means there's an area in the spine that's not moving or functioning in the directions that it's supposed to move. Then a chiropractor is trained to go and adjust that part of the body so that they restore more normal motion. And when we do that, it's not only restoring more motion, it's influencing the nervous system to continue moving that area There's one way you can treat the, well, there's many ways you can treat the physical body. Let's say yoga. A lot of us are familiar, at least with the idea of what yoga is. You can yoga your way into motion, but chiropractic is more specific than that. So yoga will open you up, open your energetic meridian lines and chiropractic will go to the specific areas within the spine and then further move and open up that part of the body so that there's more expansion in that spine for motion and almost like lubricating that area. They say traditionally that chiropractic is actually working on the nervous system more than any other system in the body. So there's chiropractors who will use tools and not physically manually adjust the body with their hands, which is the technique I typically use, but there's tools that you can use and just simply vibrate on a vertebra throughout the body or different joints within the body. And what that does is feed to the nervous system that the body needs a specific type of an input or proprioceptive input. So the body will then now adjust or adapt and be more able to, I guess, withstand the stresses that we experience in the regular day moments. That's chiropractic. And so I learned to adjust the body. I learned to mobilize the spine. I learned other techniques that use tools to adjust and influence the nervous system. But then my research outside of chiropractic led me to applied kinesiology, which is a form of biofeedback that helps me determine where on the body to work. I will muscle test the patient and that gives me feedback where to work in the body. From my trained chiropractic lens, I may look at a body and be like, oh yeah, you definitely need your upper back worked on and your right hip worked on. But if I use muscle testing, it might actually say, actually, we need to work on their cranials first, and then you can work on the hip. And then we can work on the upper back. It's almost like it helps me sequence how I work on the body. It's like every individual is different. And so I will get specific feedback when I'm working on that individual, what order and where to work on that person. So I've integrated applied kinesiology into my work because I've noticed for me that really, really helped me maintain my adjustments and it was much more effective. And then 
I continued to learn some more energetic techniques and learned how to open and release stuck emotions. I know that can sound a little different to people if they've never done that, but I can use muscle testing to release stuck emotions in the body using, it's called the emotion code or NET. Those are two different techniques that I've learned that I can utilize when I'm working with a patient because the body will hold stress and creates disease from a variety of different multitudes. And when somebody comes to me as a patient, I first will educate them on, (laughs) sounds strange, but epigenetics. I will draw a triangle and at each vertice of that triangle, I will put a different letter. On one of the vertices, I put a P to stand for physical. On another vertice, I will put a C to stand for chemical. And then on the other vertice, I put an E for energetic or spiritual or emotional, if you will. And I will educate the person on how each one of those elements influences the other. So if you want to heal your body by using movement, chiropractic, acupuncture, more physical modalities then you will also be influencing your energetic body, the emotional body, the spiritual body. You will also be influencing the way your body will biologically be processing the chemicals and the food and the supplements and the medications that you put into your body. And likewise, if you change your diet and you don't work on your physical body or your energetic body, and you start eating more, let's say vegan or clean your body will start to feel better physically. Your body energetically will start to open up to more perceptions and your thoughts might start changing because everything, we don't operate in a vacuum. Everything is interconnected. So first I educate patients on that. And when we control one part of that triangle and we, and we work on that, the benefits happen on all of the other areas. And not only are you going to start feeling better chemically, physically, or emotionally or spiritually, but on like the genetic level, which we call epigenetics, we're influencing the expression of our genes at the DNA core levels. I will usually use examples from that person's life and kind of their journey and how they can relate to this epigenetic triangle that I draw. And then when I'm working with patients on the table, I usually ease them into a variety of different modalities. I will start adjusting them. I will also dabble into um, muscle testing to release maybe some stuck emotions. If they're willing, if they don't want to go there, that's fine. I'll also use different supplements or even medications if they're on them and muscle test them and see if their body energetically is in support of that particular supplement oil or medication. And sometimes we find that these medications are extremely helpful. So within the spiritual community, sometimes people will be like, no, get off of every pharmaceutical. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, right now that person might need that to scaffold where they're at. And this is one way that I can just get some form of information to say, yeah, you know what, in this moment, your body is saying it wants it. Or you know what, in this moment, your body's saying it's not as supportive, but maybe we can try some supplements and, and I will use muscle testing. When we get a strong response, the body says it's supportive. If we get a weak response, the body says not as supportive. I don't say get off of any medications. I actually am not legally able to do that. I can just say, I'm getting this information for your body. Discuss this with your other primary care physician if they're going to do anything about it. Sometimes they just want the information. 
also test foods that way or other sensitive chemicals. Um, they can bring it in and we'll just put it on them and do some muscle testing. So I'll do some adjusting. I will do some muscle testing to see like what's in their benefit or what's not as showing as much in their benefit. More recently, I've brought in sound healing and I will use some tuning forks to help move the energy and help balance the energetic body. And I will also use some color therapy, put different glasses on the person with different colored lenses to help balance their energetic body, which is so fun because I will test a person, say like glute medius muscle, and it'll be super weak. And then I will put on like, put them wearing green glasses and all of a sudden it's like super strong. And I'll be like, okay, during our treatment, I'll just have you wear these glasses. It will help balance the energy around you or within you while we're working and just enhance the benefits of your treatment. But it's funny because if I like put a different color on that person, I always test it. It'll be like super weak. It's like we muscle test which color works best for that person and then just have them wear it during their treatment. I will always make sure that when they leave the treatment that they're in a strength, like their body is testing strong. And it's layers. They heal in layers. They might feel amazing leaving my office, but then two days later, they'll be like, oh, I kind of feel again, but it's like, it happens in layers. We have to trust the process. And over time they can use me as a support when they're feeling icky, or if they want to truly enhance their body, they can come more frequently and get the treatment. I'll do some muscle work and open up the body. Oh, I forgot. I I do acupuncture. I'll do needles. I'll do cups (laughs) when the body is asking for it. I always tune into that person. That's so amazing. I love, love, love everything you've shared. (laughs) Well, good. I know I'm long-winded, so I'm so sorry. I'm just like, somebody actually wants to know. Let me tell you. (laughs) You are a perfect podcast guest. That's that's why you're here (laughs) to share. So I love your perspective on all of this. And I think you are very unique. For example, I went to one uh, here where I live and he's good, but it's the experience of crack, crack, you're done. Okay. See you tomorrow. See you in a week. Right. And I just don't resonate with that kind of practitioner. Yeah. It's too surface level. I and- agree with that. Well, and I, had I not gone to a particular, that woman chiropractor, I may never have seen the value in what else we could do as a chiropractor. So I feel very fortunate. I started with her. She modeled this uh, more inclusive chiropractic practice mm-hmm. for you. Right. Yeah. That that's amazing. That's amazing. And it's not like a five minute appointment. You're here for an hour, hour and a half. Like it's just the way it is. And so it, if somebody wants an adjustment, I'll be like, okay, let's try to fit it in 15 minutes if that's all you want. But I, I have a really hard time staying within like a five, 15 minute time frame. It's like, no, your body needs more. It keeps telling me it wants more stuff. I'm going to have to, you know, do some energy work here or to just do an adjustment is actually harder for me than to do a full body treatment. Yeah. Because you, you understand the importance of those subtle things. And do you get many clients who are just like, okay, I'm here for my adjustment. Like do, do that crack, crack thing. And (laughs) Well, I would, I started with that type of clientele because that's how my practice was initially set up when in Minneapolis, when I owned it with my good friend before I transferred it to a practice on my own. Now, most people are just like, okay, just do your magic or whatever they say. But it's funny (laughs) because I'll like, listen, like yesterday I had a patient and she was like, yeah, I've got this thing. And I'm like, I literally will just feel where 
this person needs it. And she didn't even know she needed it. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I have to work here. And she's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know that that was, oh yeah, I feel so much better. So I've just learned to really trust myself and, you know, obviously the muscle testing, but there's also that intuition that comes through me when I'm in those moments with patients. And that's been really fun to develop and trust because it took a while to truly trust what was coming through me. Yes. That's so great. I love but to answer your question, no, I don't get a ton of people who just want an adjustment. It's really hard for me to yeah. do just Yeah, I imagine, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. And also, as you talked about the way you practice, I thought about it's the work a person does on their own or continues on their own that has a great impact on them. Practitioners are amazing and they can start that healing process for us or support it. But if a person is completely unaware and they just come to you and you do your magic and they feel great, and then they are back into their uh, baseline of, let's say, negative thoughts or uh, destructive physical habits, like how much can you do as a practitioner if a person just doesn't do the work on their own? You can help to some extent, but there's a great importance of the part the patient plays themselves. Yeah, that's so true. They always say that you are drawn to healing arts because you need to be healed. (laughs) So I resonate with that, that a lot of my journey here is to have healed myself. I didn't go through massive trauma growing up, but we all have our stuff. And I do believe that part of my life's work is to change some patterns from generations above and generations before and before. So even though I didn't have massive trauma as a child, I just feel that I'm here to help shift those patterns. And that's a lifelong purpose. So as I grow in that field, what I'm hearing you say is that that's transferred into the work within my patients and clients. And I would agree with that. And I would say in my moments where I'm not in as active pursuit of ingraining new concepts or further ingraining concepts into my own personal life, my work within patients is almost a little, I, I wouldn't say flat because that, that would, mm-hmm. that's not true. Like I, let's say I was depressed, which I don't identify with in this moment at all. I could still give a really strong treatment, but when I'm really inspired and I'm learning new things or integrating them more into my life, I know my work with the patients is that much more powerful. Yeah. It makes you a Mm -hmm. better practitioner on so many levels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would agree with that. Well, thank you. I love your approach to this. We need more healers with that approach because there Mm -hmm. are so many good healers that work with the physical body and they, mm-hmm. they're the best at what they do. But mm-hmm. what if they applied their, their genius to expanding that practice and, and integrating those more subtle techniques to help patients? Like imagine what is possible, like what could they do? Totally. I agree with that. I feel like a lot of the times the people who are connected more to just adjusting the body Um, I think that has its place for sure. I would never say that that doesn't. And it's definitely more time efficient and effective. But I think that if more practitioners tapped into their own worlds, that would be the gateway is they'd have to want to do the work on themselves. Kind of like what you were saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So our lives changed a bit in the last couple of years. And Mm -hmm. I was wondering what tendencies you've seen in your clients before that, and if that changed during the last, 
let's say two or three years. Mm. In reference to COVID, I'm imagining. <laughs> yes, of course, it's pandemic stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's natural for a fear response to come out when there's talk of a pandemic. I also think that I have not encountered these particular patients or people in this clientele with such a global threat, if you will, circulating in their psyche. So I don't know if I'm experiencing my patient's fear just coming out of who they are, or if it's the external force on them creating this fear. Basically what I'm trying to say is I don't know if this was already in them, this like level of fear, or if it's been like created from the external environment and maybe it's both. But what I do notice is there is an incredible amount of fear. It isn't within everyone and I, it's warranted. I understand it, but there's a fear mixed with isolation and the isolation has created I wouldn't say mental health problems, but a disturbance within the typical trajectory of their typical optimism at times. And other patients, that's not the case. So it's hard to say that they all are affected in a certain way, but I definitely feel that there's a sample of patients that have really allowed this pandemic to take hold and just anchor them into a frequency that it hurts me when I'm around it. And I just really want to help shake it up and try to open it up. But I can only do so much, if that makes sense. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. This pandemic stuff, I've noticed it affecting people very differently. Mm -hmm. So, and there are some people, um, me included, who will say that this was like the best time of their life, not because of the pandemic or quarantine or staying at home, but mm -hmm. because this was just a time in their life when they were destined to expand in consciousness in experience and all of the things. So for me, it was great, but it wasn't like that for many people. What you've shared about fear and your clients, it does make sense, mm -hmm. especially with all the media sharing everything, every second, only about this, right? And I also think there's a lot of um, right and wrongness and judgment that continues to be revolving conversation of how we need to take care of it and what's the right way to approach moving through this pandemic. And that can get a little bit, I don't know what the word is for me. It doesn't hit me right because the people I haven't talked to are, aren't the scientists and we're just getting things so third hand, fourth hand through the media and making these opinions and judgments based on secondhand information that sometimes it's difficult for me to hear people who come with such strong opinions one way or another after getting things secondhand and third hand. I don't know. That's just harder for me. I'm so much more of this person that hangs out. Well, let's just see. And let's, and that can have its downsides for some people too. But I would say there's a lot of judgment and right and wrongness that hits me differently. But for me, I would agree there has been a lot of opening and a lot of opportunity for stillness and for reconnecting to parts of myself that I never would have let happen had I not had 
experienced the pandemic, there'd be a lot of still like go, go, go mentality. And I've been able to slow down. And I would say that that is a constant theme too within my patients is that most people have said like, oh, there is the silver lining. And that's been really cool to observe. Yeah, that's a beautiful insight. Yeah. What are three things people can do for their health today, in your opinion? Okay. So from my lens, I think waking up and creating some form of morning routine or ritual that sets yourself up for the type of day that you want to have. When I was in education school, there was a professor who said, as a teacher, and I would translate this to as yourself governing your own day, you have the opportunity to create the climate, the weather of your day. Do you want it to be a sunny day? Do you want it to be a cloudy day? Do you want it to be overcast? You get that opportunity. And so whatever that morning ritual is for you, and some options I would say would be journaling, taking a cold shower, at least for one to two minutes in the morning, really boost some endorphins. I juice in the morning. I would recommend some form of healthy liver cleansing type practice, whether that's lemon, warm lemon water or celery juicing, something like that. But whatever morning ritual you can bring into your day, even if that's just a morning intention. So that would be the first thing, morning intention or routine. The second thing is move, move that body. So yoga, walking, I don't care if it's strenuous, just move that body and get yourself opening those energetic pathways that just get bogged down through sitting. And the third thing would be becoming conscious about the words you speak. Are they in alignment with your inner body? Because your words do create your reality. And if you are in integrity, first of all, I hope you are, (laughs) but check yourself. Like, are you in integrity? And then from there, what are those words reflecting what you truly mean? So those would be three pieces of advice, morning ritual, routine, moving the body, and then being particular or conscious of the words you're using. That's beautiful. These are the practices that I would call daily non-negotiables. Yeah. It's just something about them that sets like you. That. Yeah. It sets you right for the day. Yeah. I've recently been uh, practicing some intense yoga flows, really testing my strengths. Mm. I have been practicing those for for many years, but now I did with less breaks in between, meaning breaks like restorative yoga or like easier flows. I felt my body getting so much stronger and it's just not the same without any type of yoga, restorative or power yoga, intense, Mm -hmm. not intense, doesn't matter. My day is different without that. So moving your body is so important. Morning Mm -hmm. rituals are essential. And what you said about words, it reminded me, quote by Rumi, he said that before you speak, let your words pass through three gates. Is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? I read a book of Rumi's poems and this one stuck with me. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Words we speak, are they aligned with what we want? But also we must remember that there are other people and we don't want to create unnecessary trauma. So Mm -hmm. yeah, is it necessary? Is it kind? Maybe there is no need for this sarcastic comment here. Right. 
Yeah, those are beautiful tips. You've shared so much with us today and this conversation is so healing for me and it will be healing for all of the listeners, I'm sure of it. How can we support you? You're so sweet. Well, I am in the same position you are and I am starting a podcast called the School of Higher Consciousness. And and (laughs) we will be exploring a lot of the human experience that we don't talk about in traditional school. So similar-ish concepts that you'll be touching on on your podcast. So I think a lot of that, the listeners might find some joy from both podcasts. And on Instagram, you could find me at higher underscore consciousness underscore school. It's a very cumbersome username. I understand that. Or www.theschoolofhigherconsciousness.com. And you can follow me on Instagram. And if you're interested in what I'm doing, then you can support me by listening to the podcast. And I hope you really enjoy it. Amazing. And this is a very clever name. Like from day one, when I saw the name of your podcast, I was like, damn it, this is good. (laughs) This is good. And your podcast is the one that I am truly excited about. Mm. I wait for your launch just as much as I wait for mine. So I will be there from episode one and I hope the listeners will be too. Thank Thank you you so much. No, thank you. I'm so, so excited and glad that we've met. We took this class together and now I feel like I have a lifelong friend. Yes, I have so much love for you. Thank you, Gina. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Better Way to Do Life podcast. Tune in every Tuesday for more interviews with experts in the fields of health, spirituality, and self-development. Make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or Stitcher for new episodes to magically appear in your podcast app every week. You can follow me on Instagram for more inspiration at Better Way to Do Life. Drop me a DM. I love hearing from you. And if you are feeling extra generous, please leave me a five-star review or share this episode with a friend. It is my greatest desire that every human on this planet lives a healthy and fulfilled life. Let's make it happen.